0: It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to today's agriculture conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I hope your holiday season is going well. Thanksgiving is now behind us, and the Christmas holiday is just a few weeks away. And I know a lot of families across the nation sit down to a nice prime rib dinner every single Christmas. My family does too. We throw a little crab and lobster in there as well. And of course, today we are going to be talking about beef. And joining us all the way from Washington, D.C. is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Vice President of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane. Ethan, how are things out in the Beltway here as uh, Thanksgiving is over and uh, the last few weeks of the... Uh, congressional session is in uh, full swing here before 2020.
1: You know we're we're uh, we're just kind of sleeping off the last vestiges of our Thanksgiving uh, food comas. Uh, we knocked out 17 pounds of uh, prime or of, uh, brisket, cooked two ways around my house for Thanksgiving. So uh, celebrated in fine style, and and we're now kind of turning our attention to uh, the end game here on Capitol Hill. Uh, it's really shaping up to be a doozy this year. We, we have... Uh, you know, a spending bill that needs to be passed before December 20th. We have an impeachment proceeding that uh, uh, continues to kind of march forward. We have a USMCA trade agreement that needs to be approved. Uh, it's it's kind of all things to all people back here, Lane, and, and, and we're, we're all trying to do the math right now on which goes first. Are we going to get some confirmations done in the Senate at the same time, or are we going to get nothing and kind of get it punted in the next year? All of those are possible and on the table, unfortunately, as we sit here on the 3rd of December.
0: You know, I mentioned here at the start of the show how Christmas is just a few weeks away, and, and folks, it's, it's a great time to serve prime rib and sit around the table and, and brings bring family together, and, and I always like to reference a lot of the discussions uh, that happen around the, the kitchen table or the dining room table out on our, our, our ranches across the nation, and one of those discussions always centers around country of origin labeling over the past few years, and, and really, that's what I want to talk to you today about is... An announcement that the NCBA has made about uh, making sure there's clarity and consistency in beef origin labeling practices, and uh, it was just announced here. On December 3rd, that the NCBA staff has been directed to work with USDA to verify beef origin labeling claims. A lot of people are concerned about uh, labeling and the origin of beef. Uh, Let's just share with our listeners what this new direction is and uh, what, uh, what ranchers need to know
1: you know people are concerned about it it's something that we're hearing from our membership across the country uh you know and and i mean look we keep our ear to the ground uh we have affiliates in 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 every state in the in the union and and uh, you know because of that we're, we're we're constantly gauging, you know, what those hot button issues are that are that are perking up for producers, and it's it's impossible to ignore the fact that this product of the USA discussion in some states around the country has really uh, has really kind of bubbled to the top of the list here in the last year, um, and and that's something that we responded to earlier this year at our summer business meeting in Denver by, by commissioning a working group uh, chaired by a producer from Virginia and, and made up of, of Boots on the Ground producers from, from coast to coast um, to look at, at these product of the USA labels uh, that, are, that are approved uh, by the uh, FSIS at USDA and and how they're applied, what the approval process looks like, what's the scope of use, um, and and try to get a handle on, you know, what is what is really going on here, and and where do we need to be concerned, and where do we maybe need to take action to protect our producers, um, you know, that working group had several meetings, and staff did, uh, you know, tons of man hours of investigative work and 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 kind of a deep dive into the world of of these labels and how they're used and approved, and and you know what we very quickly we're able to ascertain is that there's a, there's a a, 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 a a pretty broad application possible. Uh, of these labels. And that's important because, you know, I, I think we need to clarify here that we don't think anybody's doing anything wrong. Nobody is mislabeling product. Nobody is labeling product incorrectly. Um, everybody everybody that we've seen is 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 applying labels according to the regulations that are currently in place. Um, it's the best we can tell. and 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 what we know about the value chain and what we know about about how beef moves around our system, you know, the, 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 the vast majority of, of those products that are sitting on your store shelf that have a product of USA or similar label, because there are a variety of, of ways that's expressed on labels, um, is, is most likely exactly what you think it is which, is, which is product that's born, raised, and harvested in the United States. Um, or product that's that's raised and fed and harvested in the United States. If we have producers down in Texas that are buying those Mexican feeders, and and they're spending time in a, in a you know 90 days or 120 days at a feedlot um, in in Texas, and and being being fed into the the quality that that American consumers expect, and then harvested and processed here in the United States. Um, you know, we have we have members and producers throughout the country that are going about their business and interacting with our, our, our trading partners to the north and south in, in various ways or or not interacting with them at all and you know we need to make sure that those labels are are clearly portraying what's in the package and 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 you know making sure that we're also being representative of 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 what our producers are are putting forward so uh, you know in looking at that and in looking at at, at the different ways that product is characterized uh, it, it's given us the impression that that there's there's perhaps too much ambiguity in how these labels are currently being used and there are alternatives that are already in place uh, specifically, things like AMS's uh, process-verified programs that that will provide that same kind of origin labeling, but with that added component of verification and auditability, so that we know that what those claims say on the package is representative of what's in the package. And and you know what we've seen is that quite often lane the real value that's derived there is 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 more local than just a product of the United States. Uh, and we saw that during Mcool, right? That's just not what consumers were really looking for. But what we have seen a lot of response to is product of Montana or product of Nebraska or you know, California sunfed beef. And these these more specific labeling programs. That's a representative of example of what's possible through one of these process verified programs and and those that's the kind of voluntary regime that keeps us out of trouble with the WTO it keeps us from from inflicting a billion dollars in damaging Retaliatory tariffs on our industry from from those trading partners to the north and south, um, and it gives our producers a, a, an infinite number of new avenues to pursue to market their beef to consumers um, with that with that niche that that they're adding value in in their backyard. So we, we we view this as as a structure that's already there and available, but we need to provide a little more clarity and a little more of a funnel to ensure that that's the only option available um, to to make these kinds of these kinds of origin claims
0: so of course a lot of ranchers out there when they talk about uh, mandatory cool and the world trade organization and that and some believe that that has impacted the markets really could, could, let's go into more depth about what is the the, the difference between m cool and then voluntary country of origin labeling
1: Right. And, and M-Cool is, is the, you know, that's the, the, the problem, that's the issue that we've, that we've steered away from in the past because, uh, you know, that, that concept of mandatory country of origin labeling, meaning, you know, every, every piece of beef sitting on a, on a store shelf has to have an origin born, raised, and harvested label on it um, in, in the United States. That, that labeling scheme lost at the WTO four separate times. And the result of those, of those cases at the World Trade Organization was them ruling that Mexico and Canada could levy a billion dollars in retaliatory tariffs against our industry if we continued to use them. Congress responded in 2016 and pulled back that guidance. So we now are, are you know, in a situation where if that were to return – that, that retaliatory tariff would be imposed on day one. You don't start the process over. You don't go back to, to the WTO for, for another ruling. Uh, that ruling stands and, and continues to, to, to hang over our industry. So, you know, it, it's, it sounds good for, for someone to, uh, you know, to kind of play on that emotional piece and say, gosh, we, just, we can fix all this if we just return to MCOOL. Well, if we do that, we will. We will. Uh, demonstrably harm this industry economically on day one, and voluntary by, by by comparison, is what we continue to seek. What our policy, what our members have instructed us, uh, is is the goal, uh, and that is the ability for producers around the country to to. Put those kind of labels in place where they see value in marketing their product. So think value-added program, right? Think uh, natural beef. Think anything that that you think is an added benefit to consumers that they may respond to and either be willing to seek out or pay a premium for uh, in the meat case as opposed to a product that, I mean, I I just bought a 17-pound prime rib from Costco, USDA Prime, uh, an incredibly nice piece of meat at my Costco uh, right here in northern Virginia, and it had no origin label on it. Um, And and so, you know, having that voluntary ability throughout the value chain to choose whether or not that's a claim for marketing purposes that you want to make for your product is is something we want to move really aggressively to both defend and promote, um, but we need to make sure that landscape is is a fair one to operate in and that those claims are being verified.
0: And uh, on social media and, and other platforms, uh, just this week, Ethan, there, there's a lot of producers that are, are, are still concerned about uh, COOL. They're, they're going to be concerned about COOL. Uh, um, and w- one of those statements is that NCBA is against country of origin labeling. Uh, so, so, I mean, obviously you're going off of your membership's policy, but it seems that NCBA is not against country of origin labeling in this case.
1: That's right. We're against mandatory country of origin labeling. There's a big difference there. Um, And, and, you know, that's something that gets lost in the conversation pretty often. Um, We we are... We are absolutely in favor of producers going out and demonstrating value to consumers in the product that they raise. I mean, American producers produce the best beef in the world. Um, we, we spend every, every day and every night advocating for that beef, both here in the United States, here in Washington, D.C., and around the world, and creating those trade opportunities. And what we see wherever we sell our product around the world is that there's no comparison. If consumers have a choice, they want U.S. beef, period and and so you know it's not a matter of gosh we don't we don't want to to have uh, pride in where our where our product is coming from what we want is is choice we want a voluntary system in place and we don't want the government pushing down a prescriptive mandate that gets us into a jam um and so there is there is a little bit of nuance there but yeah it's it's important for people to understand that that we are we, are, we have policy on the books Produced by our members, that, that's very clear that we're supportive of voluntary country of origin labeling, and that's, that's the direction that we're taking here is to, to affirm that route and ensure that producers understand those options that are available to them.
0: So, what are the steps that you and your members are going to be taking then uh, in this direction? Uh, obviously, there there's some hurdles with USDA and in, in the different agencies in which uh, uh, this will have to go through, and, the, and then also Congress and other industry groups will have to to to, to uh, uh, work with you in trying to to move this forward. What what are those steps looking like right now, Ethan?
1: Well, you know, uh, this is this is the point in this conversation where we where we separate the the real the real serious hard work of of, of, you know dealing with an issue like this from uh, you know uh, some groups that can just lob a press release out and say whatever they want to say and not have to worry about you know what's behind that. We we now have to engage in a in a really serious detailed conversation with the entire value chain. We need to have a detailed conversation with multiple agencies at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. We need to have serious, detailed conversations with multiple trading partners. I mean, there are, there are a lot of moving pieces here. Somebody in, in, in D.C. here described it as having a, 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 an infinite amount of tentacles because, because, I mean, it is. I mean, we were talking about the most, the most complicated commodity market in the world, first of all, with the U.S. beef industry. And and so getting into this this discussion of how we label that product is not one we can take lightly, uh, and it's one that we need to make sure that we're we're progressing in a sober responsible way, and that we're talking to everyone in that value chain. But we also need to do it in a way that makes sure that we're keeping an eye on the bottom line and what's in the best interest of our dues paying members and producers. That's that 95% of our membership that are boots on the ground producers, and it's it's easy for you know some of these other groups that are that are sort of based on. Grading what NCBA does, and they seem to kind of have elevated it to a high art uh, uh, of late. Uh, to, to kind of just say, ah, oh, you know, NCBA doesn't care about about what happens to producers. Wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're we're spending all of our time trying to make sure that we protect their ability to do business in the way that works best for them, and keeping the federal government out of their backyard. So. In order to do that in a a responsible way and make sure we get a product that that meets our producers' expectations, we need to go have a lot of really serious, detailed conversations. We're going to need to check back in with our membership. We're going to need to continue to get additional guidance. And that means those people who show up, who engage in our policy committees, who engage in those conversations, are the ones that are providing input into how we move forward here. That's, That's who gives us our direction. That's who formulates our policy. We take our marching orders from you. So at the end of the day, um, that's where we are in this process. It's a it's a it's a long road, and it's one that uh, we're we're taking very seriously. We've got a, a good portion of the staff here in D.C. Are, are playing one role or another in that conversation because it touches in on a lot of areas. Um, but that's that's how important this issue is uh, to to our membership, to our leadership. Into uh, the staff here in DC, so we're 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 going to give it that level of attention. And uh, uh, so you know, this is the beginning of a conversation. We want to make sure people understood where we were as an industry, and and uh, make it clear that our executive committee had had issued some staff direction that it's time for us to engage on this and and try to find some solutions. So uh, that's the process we will now embark on.
0: Ethan, I know you probably have a pretty busy day out there in Washington, D.C., but uh, what's your final message to the uh, cattle producers that may be tuning into the podcast today?
1: You know, we, we have a lot of moving parts in this industry always, and and right now with with market conditions and and a lot of the issues that we're facing uh, as an industry, as we as we move into twenty twenty, as we as we look at a changing political landscape, as we look at a changing balance of power in Congress, uh, it's never been more important than than it is right now for us as an industry to really be having these conversations and be and be talking through these issues and finding solutions. So, I I mean, I I really, I guess my ask would be for for folks that are listening to this, for folks that are that are out there in the country uh whether you're whether you're, you're you know you're engaged and you read every press release and really follow this stuff or or you know you get all your information from the coffee shop or from the sale barn um, it's it's time to really start getting into the detail it's time to start taking this stuff seriously and it's and it's time to start making your voice heard in a in a productive way here because that's that's how we get to a solution on these issues and 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 you know folks engaging in those conversations um, and, and and broadening that base of understanding of, of where we need to go as an industry uh, to make sure that, that these producers uh, flourish for generations to come uh, is, is is critical. So I, I guess that's that's uh, that'd be my ask is is you know the more the merrier we need to hear your voice, we need to hear your input into these things and and so um, this is the time to this is the time to, to really, make your voice heard and get engaged. So uh, I hope folks are, are hearing that and, and willing to do that because uh, that's that's where we are and that's what we need right now.
0: Well, Ethan, thank you for uh, jumping on the phone and talking more about uh, the direction that NCBA is taking on uh, uh, Country of Origin Labeling. Uh, for more information for our friends listening on uh, this new direction, just visit ncba.org. You can read more of their press release, and uh, more information, of course, is on that website. Ethan, thanks for joining me here today.
1: Thanks for having me, Lane.
0: All right. Thank you, friends. And we'll catch you later here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with and Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and Nordland Communications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.